Hey everyone, welcome back to Christ is the Cure. We are continuing the Tulip series today. We are getting to a topic that everyone's probably eager to get into, and that is the human will. Before we begin, just remember that if you are a patron, you have access to the full show notes here. Um, as of recording today on February 23rd, we are sitting at 96 pages of patron-exclusive show notes. Uh, and you can get those by becoming a supporter of Christ is the Cure at patreon.com forward slash Christ is the Cure. So, on the topic of the human will, this is probably going to be our hardest section. And I know that seems kind of strange when we're talking about predestination and things like that, but this is going to be the one that you may have to pause and go look up, you know, what is a second cause? What is a first cause? How does this work together? Um, and so I'm going to do my best at talking slowly. And so this may be a little bit more dragged out, I guess, than other episodes, but I think it's necessary because of the difficulty of the topic. So the way we are doing it is we're going to talk about the human will broadly. We are going to talk about the spectrum of the human will in ancient Judaism first. And this is important, I think. And then we will talk about the Arminian view and then the Calvinist view. How many episodes this ends up being, I'm really not sure. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. So we have discussed the human will as it relates to the sinful nature of man, right? Taken on because of the fall of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, all human beings are unable, unable to respond to the gospel apart from some special work of grace where the human will is repaired and freed to respond to the gospel. So Calvinism and Arminianism agree on this. Now, there are differing views of grace that will come into play even within the Arminian camp, whether or not it is a universal prevenient grace or it's a prevenient grace that only comes by the sharing of the gospel and so on. But we need to first talk about the broader picture of the human will. Um, and this means looking at the human will overall in the narrative of Scripture, meaning what is free will even in a state of a corrupt human nature, and how does it work with God's sovereignty at large? So this is all to say, before like a special work of grace, whenever human beings are making just normal everyday choices, the outcome of those choices, what are they determined by? Are they determined by the human will? Are they determined by God? How do those concepts work together? And so this is the broader picture that we're talking about. We're talking about man's will overall, not just when it comes to um, his bondage to sin. Because even as a sinner who's, who's bound in his will to sin, he can still make choices, right? So we need to ask, well, how does this work in relation to God's hand as a sovereign God, right? God is in control to what extent, and how does it affect the human will? And this broader discussion on the human will will impact the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism on nearly every point after this episode. It will affect how Calvinists and Arminians deal with grace whenever special grace comes. It will deal with predestination, how we understand predestination in light of uh, man's response to that grace that I just mentioned. And then it will also affect how we understand perseverance of the saints or eternal security, right? So we're going to talk about that 
Um, but one thing that's worth stating is that the debate cannot be reduced to free will versus predestination. That's usually how it's how it's framed, but it's misleading at best. Um, as we've we've already shown, this is reductionistic. As the Arminians do not believe in the free will of man that is often placed upon them at the expense of predestination. Arminians believe in predestination, and they also believe in total inability. And so placing this concept of, well, it's free will versus predestination on Arminians almost makes it as if there's a sweeping understanding of freedom of the will that negates total inability. And on the flip side of that, the Calvinist is usually called the one who believes in predestination but not free will. But the problem is that Calvinism doesn't neglect the freedom of the will nor predestination. Both aspects of free will and predestination are affirmed in both systems. And so it's really a matter of how those aspects work out in those systems that becomes the point of contention. So predestination versus free will is not the issue. The issue is, well, what is the predestination conception in Calvinism versus the predestination conception in Arminianism? Or what is free will in Calvinism versus Arminianism and free will? So with that said, it's worth pointing out that at some point, both systems will face problems of mystery. Um, and what I mean is that at some point, both systems have to throw their hands up and say it's mystery. And this is important. And the reason why is because in discussions, both positions overstate the issues of another system and will completely reject any appeal to mystery. But there's always going to be a point where you have to say, we just don't know. And both systems usually are happy to do that on paper, but in discussions, because of this pressure to not have a mystery and have a more coherent system, people will start making up stuff or just going in circles or avoiding the question, um, you know, all these different ways to get around it that ends up being a problem, I think. Um, the, the reality is that there will be tensions in both understandings, period. And ultimately, we have to think through which tensions we are okay with or, even better, what tensions account for the biblical data more faithfully. That's really what we're looking for, right? And so it is true that there are times in other topics where we're talking about something where the answer should be obvious or someone's making a really strong assertion, but they just appeal to mystery to avoid answering the question. That does happen. But at the same time, we need to also understand that at some fundamental level, there is going to be a real mystery because, you know, in the easiest terms, God is bigger than us. We are pea-brained humans that have to rely on special revelation, and so that's what it comes down to. We look at the biblical data and say, look, the Bible presents us with this tension. I have to be okay with holding this tension. But the question is, which tension is most biblically faithful? So hopefully that's fair for both sides. Um, I tried. So additionally, while Calvinists and Arminians understand human freedom differently— they agree that human beings possess a level of freedom that separates them from the rest of the created order. They also agree that human beings make numerous important choices. They also agree that human beings are 
conscious, willing people who are not robotic products of outside forces, and they generally should agree that human beings are morally responsible for their choices. So let's go ahead and get into a brief definition of the various positions um, on the human will before we talk about my minor detour, because I like my detours. Um, the human will in these categories that we're about to discuss is discussed in secular psychological literature as well. Obviously, the difference is whether or not these viewpoints occur within a theistic worldview, right? Whether or not there's a God in this worldview. But things like incompatibilism, compatibilism, uh, determinism, right? Soft determinism, hard determinism. Those are all things that the secular world um, will discuss. And so you can take all this stuff and actually go read secular philosophers on these topics as well. And just know that these debates don't just happen in Christian circles. Uh, it's actually quite interesting um, to, to consider that because um, a lot of secular individuals will try to bring up these issues as if they don't have the same discussions. And I know that's kind of a weird sidebar, but it came to mind, and so there it is. But within the Christian circles, there are two broad pictures. The first one is incompatibilism, and the second one is compatibilism. Compatibilism, or sometimes called soft determinism, holds that divine determinism is compatible with human freedom. This is the Calvinist position that we are going to go into. Okay, Nick, divine determinism. What in the world does that mean? Well, determinism is the notion that all things that occur in the world are necessarily or causally determined by prior conditions. And given specific prior conditions, there is only one outcome. One outcome will always occur given various conditions. Now, incompatibilism will say the opposite of compatibilism. Again, compatibilism is that there is a divine determinism that is compatible with human freedom. And so since incompatibilism is the opposite of compatibilism, it is saying that divine determinism is incompatible with human will. So the incompatible and compatibilism terms are pretty easy. Now, in the incompatibilist spectrum, you have the Arminians who hold to the form of incompatibilism known as libertarian free will or libertarianism, which should not be confused with the political ideology. Libertarian free will is not the only form of incompatibilism, though. Hard determinism would fall into the category of incompatibilism. Hard determinism, opposed to compatibilism, which is soft determinism, holds that all choices are causally determined and incompatible with human freedom and responsibility. So, again, Calvinists generally hold to compatibilism, that is that divine determinism is compatible with human freedom, while Arminians hold to incompatibilism, specifically libertarian freedom of the will. And I know I didn't flesh out libertarianism. We'll get there. This was just so that we can go to the detour and then move into the Arminian position. So... 
The detour is this, the spectrum of the human will in ancient Judaism. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because many times in polemics and discussions, right, it is said that the position of compatibilism, that is, again, the, the Calvinist position, did not exist until Augustine, and that the early church was decisively libertarian, that is, the position of Arminians. Now, I conceded early in this series that the early church spoke a lot about free agency or free will. But it was also said that how they viewed the finer details regarding God's sovereignty and its relationship to the human will was difficult to ascertain. And I pointed out that whenever they quote Paul on predestination and election, they just quote him. They don't really give much explanation. They just appeal to human moral agency. And since compatibilism doesn't reject human free agency, it can be difficult to say whether or not they held to a libertarian view or a compatibilistic view when we consider the detour I'm about to present. Um, so, first off, to assume libertarianism is to assume that that's the position of the text of Scripture and the only position in the ancient Jewish world, which is false. The literature has shown sufficiently that the positions of determinism, compatibilism, and libertarian free will were all present during the period of the New Testament's writings. Clawans and his work Josephus on fate, free will, and ancient Jewish types of compatibilism outlines the discussion of Josephus on the Jews of his day and their views of the human will. Um, and Josephus was an ancient Jewish historian who lived around the time of the New Testament, right? Um, and so in this explanation, we find that there's nuanced discussions of compatibilism specifically amongst the Pharisees. That's what um, this particular journal addresses. But to this day, Second Temple literature that we can read, um, we talked about Ben Sira in our Apocrypha episodes. Ben Sira was a piece of wisdom literature highly popular among the Jews of his day, but this literature still debated about its precise precision on this matter, whether or not it was compatibilistic or held to libertarian free will. But the work shows, because it's pushing back against that hard determinism, that these issues were up for debate. And most that I have read seem to believe that Ben Sira leaned into compatibilism. And since Ben Sira seems to be alluded to by Paul whenever he's talking about predestination election, that becomes a significant point of connection. Now, I'm not saying one way or the other right now. I'm saying that we need to consider this. Presupposing libertarian freedom of the will is kind of the standard for patristics and for um, you know, for most evangelicals and even Calvinists. Um, I, I don't see much interaction with these ideas in Judaism and how they might have affected the early Christians who were Jews first and foremost. Um, what we find is that the three major sects in Judaism have traditionally been understood to hold to the following positions. The Essenes um, are noted to hold to determinism, but they do speak about free will. The Pharisees held to various forms of compatibilism, and the Sadducees held to libertarian freedom of the will, denying in full the predestination of any event. Now, Robert Wisner actually has a journal that, where is it from? It's from um, Westminster Theological Journal 82, Historical and Theological Studies, Predestinarian Election in the Second Temple Judaism and its Relevance in Pauline Theology. And that's basically what he discusses. He discusses Paul's position as Paul was a Pharisee. And then he also sees some influence of Essene literature. But I'm not going to go into that here. We may talk about it later. I'm not really sure um, whether or not that will come into play. But regardless, Michelle Lee Barnwell summarizes 
the second temple positions. Quote, although the Pharisees believed in divine providence, according to Josephus, they also held that the ability to do what was right or wrong was within the capacity of every person so that fate cooperated with human free will. Thus, according to Josephus, they held to a position between the Essenes, who believed that all events are ascribed to God's will, and the Sadducees, who rejected fate entirely. And that's in uh, her article in The World of the New Testament. Great introduction on you know, the background of the New Testament, uh, the historical cultural context of both Jews and Greeks. Great book. Highly recommend it. But this is all to ultimately say that the views that we are going into were all present at the time of Jesus. Now, we can say that these views were present without the information provided by the New Testament documents, obviously. And we can also say that they're not necessarily in these refined forms because of the lack of data and the lack of perspective of, uh, for example, Paul. It would be a mistake to say, well, you know, obviously um, a Pharisee before Jesus was born held to the same exact view of Augustine. No, that doesn't, no, because no. So we're not going to be, you know, anachronistic about it, but we do have to recognize that these positions all existed already. And so to just assume that the early Christians were libertarians um, seems a little bit unwarranted, especially whenever we consider, well, we had Paul, who was well-versed in Judaism and his knowledge of Judaism because of his, you know, Pharisaic background um, would have an influence, Right. Um, So the relevance here should be obvious. One, we cannot merely assume that the early church held to one position or another. We must ultimately go back to the text and find the position that best accounts for the scriptural data. And two, we cannot attribute one position or another to one individual who appears later in church history as if they invented the position wholesale. So whether or not you agree or disagree with compatibilism and Calvinism, Augustine did not invent it. We have to recognize that, again, these positions were all held by Greeks and Jews alike, you can't just say, well, you know, they held to my preconceived notion. That goes the same for compatibilists. We can't just assume that they were compatibilists. We have to end up going back to the data in Scripture. And this brings out a couple more applications of this. We can't say, well, you know, the Pharisees held to compatibilism and the Pharisees were all bad, which isn't necessarily a correct view of the Pharisees. They were the more conservative theologically. Uh, Take that as you want. But you can't commit the genetic fallacy and say, well, because it came from the Pharisees, then it must not be good because you could do the same with the Sadducees anyway. The Sadducees denied the bodily resurrection. They had their own canon within a canon. They were political tools, etc. Theologically, the Sadducees were worse off than the Pharisees. Um, So the genetic fallacy won't work for either position here, which is nice. And then we have to also consider the fact that these positions were viable in the Jewish world. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're all equally, you know, weighty in their arguments, but it means that to look at the position and say, well, you know, that's just that's just wrong. You can't believe that no matter what. You can't do that because these were all positions that existed. So that's setting up what we're about to go into. In the next episode, we will discuss Arminians and Libertarian free will. And before we close out this episode, let's just kind of recover uh, what we were saying. Compatibilism holds that divine determination of all events is compatible with the human will. Human freedom and divine determinism are compatible, hence compatibilism. This is the position of most Calvinists. There are some Calvinists who are hard determinists, but they are very few. And 
Arminians would fall into the incompatibilist box. And that is that divine determination of all events is not compatible with human freedom. But the qualification is that within the Arminian view, there will be what are called contingent events and necessary events. And we're going to talk about that, meaning that some events are things that do have to turn out the way that they, in fact, will, while while contingent events can go one of two or more ways. So in some sense, there's still a level of compatibilism, but the general position is typically called incompatibilism uh, because it's not the determination of all events. So libertarian freedom of the will, to, to briefly define it, is the ability for humans to choose otherwise than what they actually ended up choosing. So if I make a choice, I chose it, but I could have chosen something different. We're going to talk about that. We're going to flesh it out. Uh, Before we get to that next episode, I recommend you look up these terms, look them up, and then furthermore, I would highly recommend you um, look a little bit into first causes versus second causes. Those are going to come up. We're going to talk about them. We are going to assume some basic knowledge of that. It should be relatively easy, but um, having that knowledge going in will make it a lot easier. Now, people listening to this may be like, okay, this is a lot of uh, philosophical discussion. Where's the Bible? That will be present in both episodes as we discuss these positions, obviously, because both positions believe that their position is the biblical one. So our next episode will be the Arminian position on libertarian freedom of the will. And then we will have to talk about the libertarian understanding of um, sovereignty and foreknowledge. And then after that, we will discuss compatibilism and Calvinism, and then by necessity, sovereignty and foreknowledge. And um, it should be obvious why we're bringing in sovereignty. If you're not sure why we're going to bring in foreknowledge, uh, it will become more clear as we talk about these topics. So until next time, God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. And that's that.